Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Trevor Shane, author of the novel Children of Paranoia. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Today, my guest is Trevor Shane, author of the new book, Children of Paranoia. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Sure. Well, if the readers listening haven't heard about your novel, Children of Paranoia, yet, can you describe the new novel? Sure. Um, I think that the easiest way to describe it is kind of a conceptual novel, so I always like to start at the beginning of the novel, and uh, the novel opens um, with the, the chapter where the protagonist is on the streets in Brooklyn at night, and he follows a woman home from closing up her shop for work and um, strangles her on the doorstep of her home. And, and as the book goes on, you start to learn about why he did that, um, and it's you learn that he's actually a soldier in this centuries-old underground war um, that's been going on kind of in the shadows of everyday society. And uh, the the woman that he killed was somebody on the other side. And you start to learn about some more of the rules and history of the war and the motivations of the different players. Great. Well, I, I know in some of the in some of the you know early press and and reviews, it's um, you know Children of Paranoia has been described as a, a dystopic novel, and 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 I'm curious, just as someone who's a writer and 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 I assume kind of uh, an observer of popular culture, I'm sure you're aware that there's been, you know, somewhat of a resurgence of of dystopic fiction with novels like The Road and The Hunger Games. And then equally you have, for the lack of a better word, kind of dark novels, both for adults and and young adults with uh, zombies, werewolves, and vampires. Since we read many of those. Sure. Since since we recently marked the 10th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, which was certainly a dark day in American history, I'm curious, have you ever considered, do, do you do you think that there's, that, that some of this dark fiction and, and, and not only by the people writing it, by the people reading it, is, is some way of kind of our collective attempt to kind of comprehend the darkness of of that day and kind of the resulting wars and, and what's been going on in the last 10 years? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there might be some of that. I also think, you know, September 11th, I think was in a lot of ways, uh, an initial step in, in just a really into really uncertain times. Um, you know, since then the, the past decade has really been, um, both an adventure and a misadventure um, mm-hmm. with the wars, uh, the economy, um, the, the financial collapse or, or near financial collapse, and um, uh, you know, followed by natural disasters and extreme weather, and, and just <laughs> it has really been an, an extremely turbulent decade. And I think a lot of times historically, when when you get into times like that, people look to fiction to try and uh, both understand it in some ways, and also I think in some ways to tell themselves that as crazy as things are, they're not that bad. Um, You know, one of the joys I think of reading 
zombie fiction or watching zombie movies is that's pretty much as bad as it could possibly get. And no matter what's happening with you, uh, it's way better than that. Um, <laughs> so I think, yeah, you know, I think it's a twofold. I think the exploration of just, um, yeah, I think fiction really gives you an insight into how other people think, whether it's the author or if the author's good, the characters in the book. And, and when things are uncertain around you, it's nice to know that there are other people considering these topics and thinking about and reacting to these things. So I do think there is probably a connection. Sure. <clears throat> well, well with, with your novel, Children of Paranoia, do, do you remember if there was a specific moment when you had the idea for kind of the, the plot and the underpinning of the novel as you described it? Or, or was it something that developed over time as you, as you, were, as you were working on, on you know, writing fiction? Yeah, the, uh, the original idea actually kind of hit me like a, a bolt of lightning. I was actually just walking <laughs> down the street in Brooklyn when I thought of that first chapter. And, uh, you know, I was, I was actually looking around me, and, and it was almost like the set for the chapter. And uh, I thought it would be really interesting to um, create a novel around a protagonist who kills someone in the first chapter. Um, but, but as you go in the novel, I mean, what we learn about the war is that both sides of the war think that they are the good guys. And uh, at least in the first book, um, you, you learn that the, the, the soldiers in the war don't know how the war started. They know why they fight, because um, there's some revenge factor, because their families were in the war, and there's some kind of um, non-nationalistic jingoism on both sides, kind of a, a root for the home team um, thing. And, and I thought it would be neat to have this character who kills someone in the first chapter who is your protagonist and have the person he kills not be a bad guy, uh, at least not a stereotypical bad guy, and kind of to struggle with that um, that tension without going into the very easy dichotomy of good versus evil. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the star, you know, the examples I always use are like the star Wars movies or, um, the Harry Potter books. Um, I think they're great books. I think they're great movies, but I think it's, you know, it very rarely in re real life, you have somebody stand up and say, you know, come to the dark side. Um, yeah. The <laughs> Voldemort is, you know, there, there's very few, people historically that have just said, I'm the bad guy and you should come to me because I'm going to win. Um, usually uh, everyone involved in conflict thinks they're on the, on the right side. So it, it started with that first chapter and then, and then kind of evolved from there. Right. And so when you were walking down the street in Brooklyn, did you, did you actually see someone or did you and think like what would happen if they got killed or, or, was it just, no, fortunately you know? <laughs> it wasn't. I, I didn't identify any any exact victim. Right, um, right. Th that was all out of my imagination. <laughs> sure, um, sure. I just thought it would be, you know, the 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 street I was on in Brooklyn. I actually lived near there. Um, uh, it's Brooklyn only shows up. This is the only chapter in the book that Brooklyn shows up. But it's a very idyllic, family-oriented area with. Um, you know, tree-lined streets. Sure, sure. And to kind of break that um, was the idea. Or you know, this this is the perfect setting to have that smashed um, in the first fifteen pages. Great. Well, I'm curious about your your writing background. Have you have you always been interested in writing? 
Uh, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a writer, and then um, you know, I, I always, um, I always did a little writing on the side. Um, then after you know, I, I got to college, graduated college, and I always thought uh, in the back of my mind, one day I'm going to write, be a writer as soon as I have something um, worthwhile to write about. And I uh, went on, uh, you know, had a completely different career, and and. Um, really started on Children of Paranoia shortly after I turned 30 when I, I thought to myself, you know, uh, if you are going to try and do this, um, you're running out of time, and, mm-hmm. and uh, now's, the, now's the right time. You, if, if you don't have something to tell the world now, you're never going to. Right, right. So, so what was the path to publication like for you with Children of Paranoia? Did you work with an agent, and what was that process like finding an agent? Yeah, I, I did the very, um, you know, the, the, the totally stereotypical um, query agents and find an agent and then have the agent go out and uh, work with uh, the, the various publishers. Um, thank God for the Internet because, uh, you know, you, you, you come into this business, you have no idea actually how any of that works. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, six, six years ago, I had no idea how any of that works. But um, it took me once... The initial draft of Children of Paranoia was finished. It took me about a year to get an agent and then probably a year for her to sell it. And, um, you know, it, it, the, the interesting part for me was there are a number of people who were interested um, that asked for certain changes that I I was was simply unwilling to compromise on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that lengthened the process a little bit. Um and, and but then I you know and then I finally found a, a great agent who really believed in the work and even though she had a, a number of revisions and suggestions, um, she believed in in really what I was trying to do and understood what I was trying to do. So I was happy to you know listen to her advice from there. And, and the same thing happened when I eventually landed at Dutton, which is uh, um, the the publisher that that published Children of Paranoia. The the editor that I work with there is fantastic, and he. Um, right from the first meeting with him, he understood exactly what I was trying to do and and really believed it and uh, really enjoyed it. So that's great. So I'm curious if you're if you're willing to to talk about it. What what were some of the 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 things that you were unwilling to to compromise on? Yeah, or, the, or that they wanted you to change. Um, the Children of Paranoia is the first book in a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the direction um, that they that that we had discussed was things that happened later in in um, that will happen in books two and books three. So I'm a, I'm a little hesitant to talk about things that haven't happened yet. Oh yeah, sure. Um, sure. But uh, when you have me on again in two years, um, <laughs> we can go into a lot more detail about that. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll have to make a date. Uh, yeah. so, so what, what is your, what is your actual writing process like? Do you, do you use any specific writing tools or, or just, you know, open up Microsoft word or, or what's that like? Yeah, I, I, I generally, um, I generally write late at night. Um, I spend the day thinking about what, um, what I'm going to write about that night and, uh, I generally write for four or five hours, you know, relatively late in the evening. Um, just, you know, regular computer, sit down, bang it out. Um, depending on what part of the book I'm writing, um, there, you know, sometimes I'll listen to music when I'm writing. There's certain people for certain scenes 
um, action sequences. Um, there's certain types of music I might listen to um, that just really, I think, help the pacing of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at other times, if I'm writing sections from a particular character's point of view, I might try and listen to music that I, I think that character would actually listen to to really help get into their mindset. Um, but beyond that, it's really bang it out on, uh, you know, bang it out on a, in Word on a laptop and then, um, you know, go, go through it five or six times uh, in revisions. So what's a typical playlist for an action scene? Um, a lot of the action, you know, it's, a lot of that will be um, instrumental. Um, there's a great, uh, and, and a lot of it's, you know, it helps to listen to the same thing over and over again. So you're not too surprised. There's this great avant-garde cellist actually named Zoe Keating, um, that I love as far as, um, atmospheric music. And it's really, she, she does this layered, um, atmospheric music and it's really, I mean, any of it would be a great soundtrack to really kind of dark, uh, a dark action, um, film. And, and often I will listen to her for, for action sequences. Um, but then, you know, I, I'll, I'll go into other areas, but usually it's instrumental. Um, but you know, always kind of, uh, dark and well-tempoed. Right. Well, who are some of the who are some of the authors that that you enjoy reading and that inspire you? Uh, you know, every time people ask, I, yeah, I have I have kind of my list of um, people. I always you know, always ask, what, what, who are your favorite authors? And I have kind of the stereotypical guy's favorite author list of Joseph Heller, uh, Ernest Hemingway, and Kurt Vonnegut. And I, I think Heller um, specifically Catch Twenty Two. Um, I think was a, a big influence on children of paranoia kind of the the um paranoid fiction i think is is you see in that um i, I also have to mention when i was the, the first adult books that i ever read when i was younger was stephen king and I, I went through a phase of about four or five years where he was the only person i ever read and his um not pure horror but his more conceptual fiction um I can still consider a really big influence. So he has works like uh, um, The Running Man um, in in book form, not movie form. The book mm-hmm. was great. The movie was silly. Yeah. Um, and The Long Walk <laughs> and uh, stories like that that are um, they're you know they're they're almost science fiction, but they're not. They're just conceptual and they're, they they take take high concepts to um, create really interesting character studies. And uh, it's something that I've kind of tried to emulate with Children of Paranoia. Great. Well, given your given your success and and getting Children of Paranoia, you know, written and published, what advice would you have for someone who is an aspiring writer and would like to have their own novels published? Um, the the uh, single most important thing in my mind is to have thick skin. Um, no matter how good you are, you get you face a, a ton of rejection. Um, and to me, you know, obviously you need you know you need you need talent to to get published. You need a good story, probably even more than talent. Having a good story um, is an important thing. But I, I think 
the main thing that probably keeps people from getting there is just the fact that they are not able to um, take the rejection and the criticism. Um, you know, I always keep in the back of my mind uh, certain books that I love that never really sold well and, and, and think to myself, you know, if, if a book like that could have that much meaning to me, then, you know, all I have to do is, is get my book in front of a few people to read it. And if I'm able to do that, then I'm successful, and everything above that is a bonus. And, and that's kind of the approach I've, I've taken from day one. Um, so if you, if you can get in a mindset like that, you can you know you can you can develop thick skin, um, listen to the criticism that's good criticism, and ignore the criticism that's that's bad criticism. And uh, I think I think you'll be on your way. And you think that's what helped you develop a thick skin? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I thought about you know, those, um, there's always, a, there's a specific book book called The Queen's Gambit by the guy who wrote The uh, the Hustler, um, and it's one of my all-time favorite books, and you can't even find it in bookstores, and I, I, I would think of that, and then I would think of, you know, I would think of books like um, The Great Gatsby, which I personally can't stand, and and. And, and you know it's largely considered one of the best books ever written. So every time you get criticized, you can think of on on those two ends. You know, um, people have different opinions, and and you know if you're if you're actually good, you're going to find your fan base. Sure. Well, you mentioned a trilogy. Do you have a title for the second novel yet? We have a working title. Um, right now, it's being bandied about between my editor and I as Children of the Underground. And that's, uh, right. I think that, that'll be a, a scoop for you. I don't think that's actually been published anywhere yet. Ah. But I'm pretty sure that's where we're going. Okay. And, and is that slated uh, tentatively for publication? When would that be? Yeah, I think we're... we're, uh, we're going to try and publish the second and third in, in um, roughly one-year increments. Gotcha. So this uh, Children of Paranoia came out, a couple of days came out last Thursday on September 8th. So I would think that sometime next fall the second book will come out and then hopefully um, the third book the fall after that. So keep keeps me busy. Great. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, the, the, the website that for, for the current book is just childrenofparanoia.com, um, or you can go to trevor-shane.com. Um, they take you to the same site. Gotcha. And, uh, it's got the, uh, the awesome, um, book trailer that Dutton did for Children of Paranoia and, and, uh, a blog section that I try to keep up to date with, uh, reviews and news about the book. Great. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, again, we've Great. been speaking with Trevor Shane, author of the new novel, Children of Paranoia. It just went on sale September 8th, and it's available in bookstores and is an ebook now. Trevor, thanks for taking the time to do the interview. I really appreciate it, Jeff. I had a really good time. Hi, this is author Peter O'Rulian. Uh, author of The Unremembered, and you're listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.